Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Amsterdam, presented by the Worldwide Tourism Federation. Have you already booked your trip to Holland? Well, if so, be sure to download Amsterdam, the hot new globetrotting companion app that's got everybody buzzing. Whether you're planning on getting cross-eyed in Kulemborg or wrecked in Utrecht, with Amsterdam, you can plan and track an entire slate of activities for those Rotterdam days and Harlem nights. Because your trip to the Netherlands should be impossible to forget. And even harder to remember. Don't let your memories go up in smoke. Download Amsterdam today. Presented in conjunction with Dank of America and the Contravan, delivering chronic debauchery since 2001. Patent pending. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yeah! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by our good friends at Armchair All-Americans and our good buddies at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the number one sports betting website. If you like to gamble a little bit, like to make uh, your your sports games even more fun, MyBookie.ag has you covered with all the best lines. If you think you're smarter than the Sharps in Vegas, MyBookie.ag is the place to go. All the best lines, all the updated lines, by the way, prop bets, whatever it may be, mybookie.ag has you covered. They've got fantastic customer service. If you ever have a question, they're always there to help you out. And if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they're going to throw in a 50% initial deposit match. So if you haven't done it yet, get in on that, man. You could have made yourself a ton of money this weekend by betting on UFC 236. Would have been fantastic. I was there. I could tell you I should have been using mybookie.ag, but I didn't, and that's on me. Don't be like me. Go to mybookie.ag, play, win, and get paid. All right, so I think you guys can probably tell the overall tone of our show will will probably not be a fun one when we get into talking about the bullpens. But before we get into any of that, there is something else that's kind of 
taking over the baseball conversation, not not just for the Braves, not just for the teams involved, but basically for the entire sport. And that is the uh, the infamous bat flip gate that happened against uh, Kansas City and Chicago yesterday, where uh, Tim Beckham decided to pull a or Tim Anderson. I'm sorry, not Tim Beckham. Excuse. Sorry. Sorry, Tim Beckham. You've been having a good year. And you haven't done this. Tim Anderson with the White Sox decided to go full Jose Bautista uh, against Brad Keller after hitting a home run. And Brad Keller took exception. Benches cleared, yada, yada, yada. Seemed pretty straightforward, but it is kind of taken over the discussion about which side was the correct side. So I, I kind of want to ask you, Doc, before we get too deep into, into our thoughts and really before we get into my thoughts, what was your stance on Batflipgate? You know, if the pitcher doesn't want to get shown up, I mean, don't, don't throw a meatball. You know what I mean? Anderson earned that one and he he did make a good point in in his post-game interview where he said i didn't look at any royals players i looked immediately into the white Sox dugout and then through the bat you know what i mean it's not it's not like he stared keller down and and you know called called him a name or something like that i mean he just went about his business and uh you know there's varying levels of disrespect depending on how you look at it you saw the same thing with Derek dietrich just staring at his as it flew into space or williams Williams Astadio in the, um, the Venezuelan league in the offseason literally took a knee and leaned on his bat and stared at it as it flew out. I mean, stuff like that is a little more disrespectful. But as it pertains to Anderson, next time he came up, he got plunked, benches cleared. And then Anderson's the one that wound up getting thrown out of the game. So just you got to. It's like real recognize real, right? Like you you want the pitcher to just be like, you know what? This guy's a good hitter because these guys do have levels of respect for each other. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's all just like this guy sucks. I can get him out. And then he gets mad at himself because he winds up giving up a tater. So um, pitchers can can flaunt it, too. Right. Like it's not all on the hitters to just suddenly censor themselves and be choir boys while they while they round the bases. I mean, show some emotion. You brought up Jose Batista like that was a big moment. But we remember the bat flip. You know, it, and it's it's not just baseball. It's like I remember I don't even watch football anymore. And I remember Terrell Owens pulling a Sharpie out of his sock, signing the football and throwing it into the stands or spiking the ball on the Dallas star. Shaquille O'Neal dunked on a dude and straight up shoved him into the crowd. Like baseball is it's so brittle sometimes like when you get to stuff like this. So I don't know. I'm, I'm all for it. I love a good bat flip. See, I'm going to disagree with you here for a little bit. I, I like bat flips. I don't mind a bat flip at all. Uh, Camargo's bat drop, which is not really a flip. I thought that was the best one ever, where I believe it was what? The walk-off against, uh, was it the Marlins or the Phillies last year? Where he, he hit a walk-off. I think it was the Marlins. Cause I, think his, I think his mother was in the stands. I'm pretty sure it was the Marlins. Uh, but he hits that walk-off and just drops the bat with that swagger going to first. That was I, I loved it. The Tim Anderson one is different to me for a couple reasons. Number one, it's in the fourth inning. Let's slow your roll down a little bit. Number two, I don't think that that was Tim Anderson just looking like getting excited. He was looking to be a little bit extra. He was trying to get on SportsCenter with that. That's the only way you go about it where you stop, grab the head of the bat, and throw it to your dugout, and you start yelling and screaming. Like, Let's not just pretend like, oh, he just got caught up in the emotion. No, that dude was trying to make a scene of it. And I get it. Like, Flips are fine. I'm even okay with him doing that. But I think we've kind of jumped the shark a little bit where, like, everybody's all pissed off at Brad Keller. Like, dude, if you're going to flip like that and you're going to be like that, because that was super disrespectful, 
Let's just call it what it is. It is disrespectful. If you're going to do that, no one in that stadium, especially Tim Anderson, should have been shocked that he got drilled the next time up. No doubt. No doubt about it. I mean, and he he had to know as he's rounding the bases, like, okay, I'm going to wear one in the ribs. Of course he knew. <laughs> he was over yeah. there screaming the whole time. My problem is not the bat flip itself. It's the fact that that wasn't like an organic bat flip. That was Tim Anderson saying, I'm going to pimp this and making a conscious decision to pimp this. When Derek Dietrich hit that ball, he was just watching how far it was going to go. And he was proud of himself. Like, holy crap, that just splashed down. Tim Anderson was, all right, watch what I'm going to do. That was that was the difference to me. Tim Anderson's was designed to, hey, everybody, look at me. Like anytime you grab the head of the bat and just throw it like that, like that's that's not an organic bat flip. You're just trying to do that. And again, more power to you. You hit that bomb. You can do what you want. But I I don't I don't blame Brad Keller at all. If I were the pitcher and he did that and started yelling and screaming, I'd have hit him too. I will say this though, when disrespect or not, when you start getting into I have a projectile in my hand and I can throw this 98 miles per hour. Like you've seen what happens, like even when it's not malicious, I, I always go back to John Neese hitting Jason Hayward in the face. Like you could hear his, his teeth crack from a mile away. You know what I mean? You have the real capacity to do some damage there. And, and maybe this is some 21st century millennial talk or whatever, but like that, that's kind of messed up. If, if you're saying like, I am going out of my way to, to hurt you physically because you hurt me emotionally, right? Like, that's where you're like, and part of that comes down in the league, too, because Chris Archer got five games, but he's only going to serve for, for the uh, Reds-Pirates thing, but he's only going to serve one game because he only pitches every five days. I think Puig only got it, one, right? I think they both I, missed one start. It, it wasn't it wasn't a lot, but, but at the, the same time, like, Puig was going out of his way to, like, take on the entire city of Pittsburgh. I still would have so taken Tweed. Awesome. I would have gone to mybookie.ag and I would have put, put some money on Tweed. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that if, if you're going to, you know, if Anderson winds up getting suspended for, for being disrespectful or whatever, like he was a dick, but he wasn't trying to hurt anybody physically. You know what I mean? Like if Keller's got, got the option to physically hurt someone and he takes it, he needs to be suspended for, for more than one start because then you're getting into a whole different level. I mean, if you're outside of a baseball stadium, you're, you could possibly be looking at assault-type stuff for that. And that's not to say I necessarily agree with, with that, but it's it's weird. That's where the line starts to blur. Like, if you can't – it goes it goes back to, to my first point. You don't want somebody to celebrate? Don't give up a freaking monster home run. And that that's definitely true, too. I, I do draw the line at headhunting. Like, that that's off limits, but – Speaking from experience as somebody who has pimped something and then gotten drilled for it, like there's spots that you can hit a person that aren't going to do any lasting damage. It's going to hurt. It's going to leave a bruise, obviously, but you're big boys. And it, it, you know, if you're the hitter, it's kind of an even trade because you're still on base anyway. Like if you hit somebody low in the rib cage, then they're, they're generally going to be fine. You don't want to see somebody get high like Acuna got hit. If they're like you, I generally would not err towards throwing towards an elbow because it's too close to the face. Like, Anything shoulders and above, off limits. If you hit a guy in the butt, if you hit a guy in the back, like as long as you're not hitting him dead on the scapula, I guess, because you can crack that. But if you're hitting him in the meat, if you're hitting him in something meaty, then that's not going to do any lasting damage. And again, I don't have any problems with bat flips at all. I think when they're organic, when you can actually tell that it's actual emotion and not just 
trying to draw eyes to yourself, that to me just seems very fake and very forced. I don't, I don't like that very much. Just me personally, to me, it's no different than like when you're watching fighters and they're going out of their way to trash talk people, people that, that they don't have any problem with, but they're just saying stuff to sell a fight. That's kind of the same thing to me. It's like, I don't blame Brad Keller for hitting him. He didn't hit him in a, like a horrible spot. He hit him in the ribs, you know, but he didn't hit him high enough to do like real lasting damage or anything. So I think that part gets overblown a little bit. Now, if he'd have thrown at his head, it would have been a different story. But where he hit him is, you know, it's generally it's okay. I don't, getting hit in the ribs just sucks, period. But again, if Tim Anderson had done like a normal bat flip, like what we consider normal now, I don't think that happens. I think I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens as far as suspensions go because I do think Keller's going to get more of one than Anderson. I think Anderson might get – I would say he might get a game. I don't think he'll get much. I think he'll get more of a slap on the wrist than anything because he did, there were no punches thrown, none of that. It was just kind of benches clearing. You know, I have a bigger problem with him with, with like just the way he went about it. The, like the yelling and screaming thing. Think about when Carlos Gomez – hit that off the Braves and he's, you know, yelling and screaming at every Braves player as he's rounding the bases and McCann comes up and lets him know as he's crossing the plate. Like I was perfectly fine with Brian McCann on that because there is a point like I, there is a a line that you draw from a point where you're excited about what you did and you're just trying to be a dick. And to me, I just felt Tim Anderson was trying to be a dick personally. So on this one, I think it played out the way it had to play out. And you hear Glavin talk about it uh, on Thursday. You heard Glavin talking about it, you know, about how nobody should have been shocked. And Glavin's a little bit more old school where Glavin doesn't want you to pimp anything uh, or he's going to hit you. Now, granted, Glavin threw 88, so he wasn't going to do a lot of damage anyway. Um, <laughs> but but that is kind of like this weird difference between older fans and younger fans. They kind of act like it's only the new guys bat flip. Bat flips have been around forever, man. Mickey Mantle bat flipped all the time. So it's it, it's kind of just how you go about it. And really situations do kind of call for it. Like when a dude bat flips down five runs or if he bat flips in an April game in the third inning, like, yeah, you're trying a little too hard at that point. No, I'll, I'll give you that. And, but I think that um, the, the – more electric players, you know what I mean? They, they tend to be a lot more expressive and, and bat flipping is just kind of an extension of, of that. In in some cases, you know, watch, watch a Korean league game. Ryan Klesko, man. Right. I mean, they could make bat flipping like you, they've got the home run derby. I mean, you could, you could have a, a separate category just for bat flips on all-star weekend. You know what I mean? Like for creativity. So yeah, I, I think that they, it's kind of one of the, I mean, it's you're right. It has been around forever, and it's not not really going to go away. But once, yeah, I, I just I kind of draw the line a little more at like you know you, you hurt my feelings, and now I'm I'm going to try and uh, try and hurt you physically. That it's just the it's just a weird weird reaction. It's kind of a weird flex. I just think that I just think that whole he can hurt him physically thing. I think that's a little overplayed. Uh, anybody who's been plunked knows it sucks. It really does suck, and it's going to hurt for a couple days. But generally speaking. Unless you get hit in the face, there's not really any lasting damage. If you get hit on the knee or in the face or even in the ankle, I would say. That's that's the three spots where you can really do damage. But that's why pitchers, when they're sending a message, they, they generally do that. Now, to your earlier point about pitchers getting in on it, there are already pitchers that do. Marcus Stroman, Jeremy Jeffress, you see the K-Struts and everything. And I'm perfectly fine with that, too. That is the other half of this issue. So, like, if you're totally fine with pitchers and closers having their their big celebrations when they close the game or when they strike out a dude and they yell and scream, you like that. It pumps you up. 
So there is there is some give and take there. I just think that this situation got way overblown, and I think there is middle ground on this issue. It's not just I hate every bat flip ever, and it's not just how dare this pitcher hit somebody for for you know being disrespectful or for showing emotion or whatever. There is a happy mm-hmm. medium where the game does police itself, and we are at this weird point in time where like celebrations are a lot more commonplace and people are enjoying them more. So it's going to go really far one way. Pendulums, when they swing, they start really far one way, really far another, and then they meet in the middle. So there are going to be cases like this, and baseball will police itself. So I had no problem with Brad Keller. I didn't really have a problem with Tim Anderson, aside from it looked super fake and looked weak. The the Chris Archer thing, okay. You, way more problems uh, with that one. Well, he is incredibly animated. He, he'll he do the strut, and he'll run backwards off the mound exactly. and trot back into the... Yeah, but then as soon as somebody shows him up, then he can't take it. So, and Stroman has even has even said he's like, if you want to pit the whole run off me, I'm the one that gave it up. Right. Good for you. And that's Go the ahead. Thing. You have to be cool with it either way. That I think is my number one point. If you're a guy that bat flips, or if you're a guy that K struts, you have to be cool with it the other way. That's right. that's my point. Like it's it's give and take, folks. It doesn't have to be one or the other. They're big boys. They can handle it. And I think that we are we're going to be in for a long, long couple years of uh, yeah, Acuna is not not a huge bat flipper, but uh, I think that when Drew Waters gets oh, up, dude. I think that Who? I think that he's going to be flipping a lot. <laughs> Drew's going to have a lot of people that hate his guts. Dude, Drew's going to be like when Bryce Harper came up and Bryce was flipping everything and, you know, drawing through the A. If you don't think that Drew Waters is going to do that stuff, you're out of your mind. Like no, you're, when, you're right. When you you're look at Drew right. and you look at his attitude, it is Bryce Harper. Yeah, it's pretty true. And and Harper had a pretty glorious uh, pinwheeling twelve sixty bat flip of his own earlier this season, and he did it in Washington yes, too against and, Max Scherzer. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, that's just the the younger, the more prominent it becomes the more the younger generations start to see it and the when they start coming in you know it starts to infiltrate a little bit more so it's it's definitely more prominent now than it's ever been before but like like i said it, the whole start of this thing like you remember batista's bat flip you know you you remember tio throwing the ball in the stands or, or randy moss going and wiping his ass on, on the packers goalpost after he scored a touchdown you know what i mean like the that type of showboating is uh it's what kind of makes these guys stars in a certain way. You know, they, they are loved, they are hated, but they are remembered. Right. It's just one of those things that it can, it's, it's, it can really be overdone really quickly. It's like there, there is, there is a point where you're doing too much where you're just like, if you're doing it, just trying to, to get on TV, then yeah, then, then it's a little much, man. It's a little weak, grow up a little bit, but whatever. We spend a lot of time on that. So don't worry. We are going to get to the bullpen and uh, lash out. We're going to save that for the second segment, and including why I personally think that you can expect to see Craig Kimbrell just not as soon as you like. We will talk about that. That'll be coming up at the second segment. But before we get to that, I do want to talk about the starters because for all that they did not look great in that first series against Philadelphia where Bryce went four innings and Kyle Wright went three and two-thirds or, or might have been the other way around. I think it was Bryce went three and two-thirds and then Kyle Wright went four innings. Since then, they've looked much, much better. We know about Max Freed, who we're going to get into his discussion here in just a little bit because Max Freed is just amazing. But uh, Julio Tehran has looked really good. Gosman has had two really good starts and a third that was, you know, it was it was pretty good. Uh, 
Mike Soroka starts today. Didn't have his A-plus stuff, but still looked good, especially for his first big league start in almost uh, almost a full year. The starters have kind of solidified themselves a little bit. They've started to stabilize, and you still have Fultonevich coming back. So we it, it looks a lot different from how it was projected to start the season. You know, Gosman just came back. Uh, Bryce and Wright are both in AAA right now. Fulte is still in AAA. The, I think the biggest shock, though, and I don't know if it's a shock so much as I'm just kind of surprised that they were willing to do it, is Sean Newcomb getting demoted. And uh, not just demoted, pulled after an inning and a third. Uh, I I don't really get mad when I when I watch baseball anymore. I used to. I, it used to just infuriate me until I, I learned the that cool trick of what if I just turned the game off. Um, but on Saturday, you know, we watching the game. Braves jump out of the four nothing lead, and where everybody's riding high, and we sit down, we're eating dinner, and start seeing them pecking away at the lead, and I, I feel my blood pressure rising. Like I'm start, I'm like grabbing my, my chair. And I'm like crushing it like a, like an aluminum can as, as I'm watching him. And I just got up in the middle of dinner and I just turned it off. I'm like, I'm not subjecting myself to this carnage right now. And, you know, let 20, 30 minutes pass. By the time I came back to it, Braves had retaken the lead. Tukey had already been pitching for two innings. And I'm really starting to think, like, what are the, what are they going to do about Newcomb? Because they can't. They, we knew it was a problem last year. And then it got worse in spring training. And it got even worse after that. Like now it's to the point where not only he's not striking guys out either. And now he's not even getting anybody out. His walk rate is higher than his strikeout rate, which is horrible. And so the next day it comes down, like they've sent him down like good. You know, this was, I, I figured that this might happen, but I didn't think it was going to happen until like July, you know, when you give Soroka or Tukey or, or anybody down in AAA a little more time, and say, okay, well, somebody's forcing our hand here. I mean, and, and thank God Tukey was on hand because he came in and he freaking saved the day. And <laughs> he about had to. I'm I'm glad I've been – uh, glad's the wrong word. I'm not shocked that Newcomb's had his rotation spot taken. You and I have been talking about this for what seems like six months, although it's probably been a little bit less. But I, you and I have both been on this Newcomb train for a while that he, he just does not look – to be a big league pitcher and the Braves were kind of forcing it for a while, but there, there are way too many arms that are ready for them to stick with a guy that's shown that he can't really do it right now. So I'm glad that they did it. And it looked like Rick Kranitz was just done with it. I was at UFC 236. So in Atlanta, so I didn't get to watch the game live. I had to watch it the next day after everybody was telling me what happened. And like, I, I just assumed when I saw that he went ending in the third, I assumed he got hurt. I didn't, I didn't think that it was just because he was horrible. I saw that it took him like 35 pitches to get through the first inning or whatever. I just assumed that he'd gotten hurt and they went to Tukey. It looked like Rick, like Rick Kranis was ready to like strangle Sean Newcomb. And that is one thing that you and I have talked about without Chuck Hernandez because Newcomb was, was Chuck's pet project. And that's not just us talking about it. We've heard this from other people who have close ties to the organization that you know Newcomb and Chuck were, were kind of like that was his guy. Now that Kranitz is in there, I, I wondered how, how long it would take before Kranitz lost patience. And, you know, you do, you hate to see it for Newcomb, who by all accounts is a really good guy. Horrible interview, but good guy. But this is, this is a results-driven league. And Sean has been showing you for about the last year that he really was not set up for this. Everybody points to that start against the Dodgers. People pointing at, point to the Rocky start as proof of what he can do. 
The problem is that needs to be more the norm than the outlier that it was. I mean, don't forget Dallas Braden threw a perfect game for God's sake. Chris Stratton wound up throwing a throwing a uh, no hitter as well. So you know, I mean, anybody can can catch lightning in a bottle once, and and uh, it's not even that, that Newcomb's bad. It's just that well, no, he has been bad. He has been very bad. Well, it's everybody's got their hurdles to clear. I mean, no, nobody's got like that that super glowing scouting report where it's like, nope, everything's cool. Doesn't struggle with command or control. He throws a hundred and he strikes out every. You know, like guys like that are 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 very very rare, and they. So everybody's got their stuff that they that they've got to work on, but you can kind of start to see the progress. And he like he just hasn't he hasn't made that progress. It's like he's he's continuously backed up, and he's got big stuff. He's still touching ninety five. You catch him on a good day, and and he is a good pitcher. But seeing him on those days, it's just this this was overdue. And and I honestly I kind of wondered coming into the season like because he was walking eight and a half for nine in spring training. Like <laughs> yeah, you had more walks for nine than strikeouts. Yeah. And like, you can't really start the season with this as a, as a viable option. Can you? And, you know, they, they made the, this, the decision to, to have Julio and Bryce and, and Kyle Wright start the first three games up in Philadelphia because it was righties. And part of it had to do with, well, we're definitely not, <laughs> you know, the Phillies can hit us to death. We don't need to give them any extra base runners just because we know Sean's not going to hit the strike zone. So hopefully, hopefully this gives him an opportunity to work on things in an environment where it kind of doesn't matter as much. Um, but then he, he had his starting Gwinnett today, went five innings, allowed one hit, walked four. It's the, the classic Sean Newcomb line. He... If he could figure the control out, my God, he doesn't give up hits ever. Like nobody's getting hits off of him. But uh, you know, this this is just where we're at. And you you hear the old statement: you get ten pitchers and you hope two work out. Newcomb's looking like he's in that other eight for now. But there's nothing to say that he doesn't figure something out while he's down in Gwinnett and come back and be a new man. I'm glad you brought up the stuff because that's the thing that you always hear about Newcomb. He's got huge stuff. You know, he can throw the ball 97. I'm tired of hearing about that for a couple reasons. One, yeah, he can throw 97, but he can't he can't throw 97 for a strike. He can't even throw 95 for a strike. So he's bottling himself down to 92, 93. Now, when he's doing that, it kind of takes away from the impact of him being able to throw 97 if you're having to throw 92. So you might as well just have a pitcher that can actually hit spots that throws 92. That ability to throw hard, if you heard Glavin today on Thursday, we're recording this on Thursday, but if you heard Glavin talking about it, it says, yeah, I could hit 91, but I couldn't throw strikes at 91. So there, so you really can't throw 95 because you can't locate it. The thing with Newcomb and the bigger parallels, the comparisons between Newcomb and Freed, and the reason why I've been harping on Max Freed over Sean Newcomb for so long is that when you watch those two throw, and not just, and it's not even just that Max can locate his fastball. And Newcomb can't because that's that's most definitely true. The bigger pronounced difference is the breaking balls. And everybody talks about Sean Newcomb's curveball and how how big of a spinner it is and it has a high spin rate. It's got a lot of drop. It does. But watch when Max Freed throws a curveball and when Sean Newcomb throws a curveball. Watch the catcher. Max can hit the glove or where it's moving maybe an inch or two at the most. So it's under control. 
When Newcomb throws his breaking ball, the catcher is having to move a significant amount. Newcomb cannot throw his curveball and hit the mitt with it. It is in a general vicinity, which can work if guys chase, but that's not really the game anymore. Hitters are so much more willing to take close pitches because they know they've got a higher chance of being walked when guys don't have the same control that they had 10 years ago. It's the same thing that we've talked about with Julio. Why Julio was so bad after 2016, it's because batters just don't chase off the plate as much anymore. Like Plate discipline is so much more of a big deal nowadays. And for a guy like Newcomb, if you can't, consist- if you can't throw that curveball for a strike, then people aren't going to, to swing at it. If they know that you can't drop it in for an actual strike, they can see when you're throwing it, and the thing's like 76 miles an hour, and it breaks from like from Mississippi to Atlanta. So they know not and to it, swing at it. That, that's, there's, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to step all over the end of your sentence here. All I was going to say is there's nothing me- mechanically about what he's doing that leads to this. Some some guys that, that have commander control issues, like you can point to something and say, oh, well, his he's flying open too early, or he's... Uh, his release point is varying or his arm slot is inconsistent, but Newcomb doesn't have that. He just, he just can't at the zone. I mean, the thing with Newcomb is his arm will lag behind. I think the bigger problem, and I, I genuinely just don't think that Newcomb is the top flight arm. People compared him to John Lester because they're big giant lefties. I think he's, and I've said this before. I think he's much more, I think he's much more like, like uh, Scott Casimir, a guy that has, that has a, a big arm, has a big looping curveball, but never can really control it. I think that Casimir is a much better comp. I think the bigger problem right now is not just that he can't throw strikes, which is a huge problem, but it's also his confidence. So he's having to go out there, and he's he's consciously trying not to walk anybody. Where when he had that that start where he walked in a run, I believe, who was it, against the, was that against the Marlins as well? Uh, Marlins or Rockies? Where he walked in a run, and then after that inning looked really good. But what you saw there was he was throwing 91-92, trying to throw a strike, and then he was throwing balls. Rick Kranitz came out there, kind of yelled at him. All of a sudden, he's throwing 93-94, 95 at some spots, and he's more just letting the ball go. He's not consciously worrying about throwing a strike. You cannot be a pitcher and and have in the front of your head, don't throw a ball. And we're going to touch on that when we touch on the bullpen, but to me, the, the mentality of it is, is one of the most important components if you're going to be a top-shelf starter. You have to have that mental acumen. That is, almost, that is just as important as having physical stuff. And Sean just doesn't have it. And, and when you, you look at everybody else that's in this rotation, you know it took, it took Fulte a, a while to get there, but, but he's there. Freed has got it. Julio has actually really got it too, but... He he doesn't quite have the same stuff to back that up, and Gossman's got it as well. So, all things considered, across the road, it's not like a, a team wide problem. It does seem very specific to Sean, and God knows, I hope I hope he can figure it out. I, I really do because when he's on, he's dominant. Like he was so good in the first half last year, but uh, there's just there's just something kind of off. And if it's if it's a focus thing, if it's like a some type of of mental block that he's working through right now, then I just, I just hope he gets there. That's all. But out, outside of him, these starters have been fantastic, man. Like even if you look at the the second inning for Newcomb against the Mets and the fifth or sixth inning for Julio against the Rockies, outside of those two innings, like these starters have been wonderful. They've really been great. I mean, Gossman's had a, a career high in strikeouts last night. It's only the third time in his entire career. He's ever got to 10. 
And he looked great doing it. He was changing the fastball velocities all over the place. He was getting them to swing at that high fastball, which is a good thing. And his splitter was great. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the key pitch for Gosman is that splitter. You have to use it sparingly. Like you have to have a catcher behind the plate that knows that if it's not on that day, you can't keep throwing it. Because if you throw a bad splitter, it's parked, like four hundred and sixty feet parked. But if it's on, then it's a great pitch, especially because Gosman throws his almost like a changeup where it's about 84 mile an hour. You'll have some guys that throw a split at 92, which is like the Shohei Otani splitter at like 92 to 94. That just seems impossible. Gosman's at 84. It gives you like a changeup. It gives you like a changeup speed, but it looks more like a fastball for Gosman's arm slot and his arm speed than his actual fastball does. So it plays havoc with the hitters. It's good to see Gosman do this well. Uh, two out of three really good starts. One in the middle was okay, not not great, but I think it's important for Gosman too because I, I, you guys probably know I'm not the biggest Kevin Gosman guy, but if he's a guy that can at least be, if he's a guy that can keep doing this all year, as far as having him as a four, I feel great about it. Now, obviously, you know it's me, so we're going to talk Max Freed, and Max Freed's last start, it's such a shame that the bullpen blew it for him. Um, I think that his last start on Tuesday was just as impressive as his start against the Marlins where he took a perfect game into the sixth for a totally different reason. Now, Max did not have his best stuff by far. He was throwing 91 to 93. He wasn't hitting 95. It wasn't hitting 97 like he usually does. And he didn't look genuinely comfortable. He didn't have the best curveball either. But what happened was, and, and Doc is the one that pointed this out to me, I had some water heater problems and had to uh, take care of some things at the house. So when I went back and watched it, Doc, you were absolutely right. After the first inning, he gets taken into the back with the trainer to start trying to stretch out. So it looked like he was having some back stiffness or just something wasn't right with him, and he was still able to go out there and give you six good innings. And he's dealt with back stuff before. I think it was the first start of the 2017 season when he was in Mississippi. It was like within within the first couple innings. He wound up up getting pulled and – He's had so many different things go wrong, whether it's the blisters or the or cutting his his finger with with his fingernail and and the back stuff. I mean, so anytime something like this happens, well, I think we all kind of hold our collective breath for him. But you know, he he came out and you're right. He he was able to to get the job done, and he was this close. He was this close to throwing six shutout innings. It was a, a dropped ball from Ender in the, in the fourth that wound up uh, letting his, his pitch count kind of escalate in that game. But he was able to get it done without being completely dominant. He looked like he kind of ran out of gas a little bit. But it's the most pitches that he's, that he's thrown all season. He topped out at 98. So third start of the year for him. I'm not not really surprised that, that they didn't let him keep going after that, especially with uh, his, his career high in innings is, is just short of 119. So um, he's... He is legit. He is super for real. And I just, I'm really glad that all of the chatter about, you know, when Fulty comes up, then maybe we can send free to the bullpen. Like, I'm Uh. glad that that chat. Yeah, I'm glad that that chatter seems to have died. Now, later in the year, if it comes down to something where he starts to lose effectiveness because he's he's setting career highs and innings and that that will obviously be based on uh, on the performance of how he's doing. But um Maybe you could see something like that happen in August, September, somewhere around there. But for now, like he's got his spot locked in. He's the best pitcher on the staff right now. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And it's not just a a gaudy ERA. I mean, he's 
even like the contact that he's getting is weak. He's not dominating with strikeouts the way that he's done in previous years. Like he's not, um, you know, he's, he's still striking some guys out, but even, even the contact he's generating, like he's really benefiting from having a really strong defense behind him. Also, I need, I need Brian McCann to be Max's personal catcher because it is a difference when free throws to, to Brian and when he throws to flowers, because flowers is very fastball happy as a catcher. It's pretty much all he throws. So with, with Max, the good thing about Max is this year he hasn't had to throw his curveball early in games because he's spotting up his fastball so well. I think that's part of the reason why he's not getting as many strikeouts is because he's throwing so much of that fastball because and uh, he's he's letting the defense work. He's he's not giving up a bunch of hard contact. Uh, he and even when he does, it's more into the ground. Everything is kind of getting beat into the ground on him. And it's this start was just so impressive to me to see a guy who doesn't have his best stuff and he's probably not feeling real good. And he goes out there and he's still, if that's bad, Max Freed, you'll take that any day of the week. And he's not walking people. That's the thing with Max. Usually if he walks people, it's early on. I think he has, what, four walks all season? If that, there's not. It's, it's, not either, it's either three or four. So I don't, I, it's probably three because he didn't have a walk in his first start. He had two in the Colorado start and he had one in his last start. So he's got three walks so far, which is great to see. And if if the Braves just let Max go out there and keep doing what he's doing, now that he's developed that little cut slider as well to give himself a fourth pitch, then Max, Max I think, could genuinely be, if he can get up to, hundred and say, 150, 160 innings. I know he's only been at 118, almost 119 before, but I think that the innings thing gets overblown a little bit because it has so much to do with the individual pitcher, how much of a strain or how violent their their actual release is uh, and their own personal stamina, their own personal body, how they take care of themselves. At some point, all of these guys will end up far surpassing their innings limit. And if Max is still looking good at 140, 150 innings, I don't want to see them Strasburg him. But if he can get to that 150, God willing, 160 innings, I think you could generally see Max Freed have the best year of any of the Braves pitchers. And I, I, I for one, am super happy to see that. If he only ends up with 140 innings, then fine, whatever, because you don't want to just like throw caution to the wind. But I think Max is that type of guy that his stuff is, is – his delivery is smooth. His arm action is smooth. He's not exerting a, a ton of effort that I think he'll be able to, to get you a ton of innings this year. And you're going to be able to run six rotation, six man rotations for a while to give some guys some extra breaks, but enough about him. We got to see Mike Soroka again today. And um, I'm interested in your thoughts on him. I thought he looked good. Still looked a, a touch off, looked way better than his last Gwinnett start. Didn't have his a plus stuff, but uh, I was, I was really, really happy with what I saw from Mike. It's just so great to see him back on the mound. I mean, this guy has been like, he just like a rocket. He he wound up going up to to number one on the list. I mean, he just kind of came out of nowhere. He was just that guy that everybody's like, who the who? I've never even heard of this guy when, when he wound up getting drafted, and everybody said he was a reach and, and all of that. And and now he's like the, the chosen one, the the chosen Canadian. And uh, yeah, I mean, he he looked a little rusty, and it wasn't the best we've ever seen him. But the the ability to wiggle the way his way out of trouble has always been such a distinct thing. Like it's sometimes you're going to allow a couple base runners. You get some dribblers here and there. You're going to have to have to work around some base runners. And the very last inning, he wound up uh, striking one guy out and then inducing a, a, a ground out to leave him loaded. Only, only one run allowed. 
ran out of gas towards the end. We knew that he was only going to wind up throwing 90 pitches or so. So something really good to build on. Um, I don't really see how you send him back to Gwinnett for now, but I agree. I don't think he's going back. I think, I think that Soroka has been a guy that's had that spot as soon as he was ready. No doubt. No doubt. And there wasn't anything about this outing. Like he didn't walk six guys or, or, or pitch completely to contact or anything like that. Velocity was strong, man. He was, he touched a lot, a lot of 96s in the first couple innings. So, He's he's dangerous. If he becomes what we know he can become, having Soroka, Freed, and Fulton Avich at the, at the top of this rotation for this year and beyond, good for business. That's real good. And that's to say nothing of Tukey, depending on his long term. You know, if he winds up sticking as a starter, which he could wind up having that Iglesias role and uh, and just wind up transitioning into being a closer, but. He's still, as he showed the other night, he can still carry that stuff into later in the games. So good is good to see the young guys, or at least some of them showing out. I know Bryce and Kyle struggled a bunch. And we're going to talk about Tukey here in a second when we get to the bullpen. But I would be remiss if we didn't mention Julio Tehran. Julio gets to be the butt of everybody's jokes for a while. Everybody talks about the struggles and the first inning struggles. First off, he hasn't really had them this year. I mean, he's given up what? A couple runs at most in the first inning. I think he hasn't given up more than one run in the first inning yet. Um, but it's been a different Julio Tehran, and look, and working with Kranitz has done wonders for him. Not just not just the results wise, but the pitch location wise. He looks much more comfortable with the new style, where he's not throwing, he's not nibbling on the edges on everything. When he gets people 0-2, he's got Kranitz has him over the top of that slider, so it's it's getting a lot sharper break instead of sweeping action, and he's burying it down outside of the zone where it's starting a strike and ending in the bottom of the zone instead of just sweeping across and trying to back door or trying to front door. He, he looks great. And after after outdoing DeGrom, and yes, DeGrom hasn't had the best start to his season, which is kind of a theme in baseball right now, but Julio deserves his props. He's come out there, and he has been, aside from one inning, Julio has been really, really good. He has, and he's kind of getting some of that old-school Julio swagger back. Like Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, like the game against the Nationals where he wound up plunking Bryce Harper in the hip and then st- walked up the mound and immediately started walking towards him, staring into his soul. Like that's the Julio I want. That <laughs> right. dude's not afraid of anything, you know? And the velocity, like Julio's never going to hit 95 again. You, no, you know what I mean? Sitting, he's sitting 91. He's averaging 91 on his fastball this year, which is huge. Oh, absolutely. The the two miles per hour difference. I mean, last year, I think that that he was dealing, I think it was his, his lap, that, that one start against San Diego where he was like topping out at 86. Like, that's not good. Who are you, Josh Tomlin? <laughs> uh, but but yeah, man, I, I think that, that even even having him as a, this version of Julio has been a, a solid three, maybe even flashing a two here and there, but to have that guy as your four, you know, that's that's a great asset to have. You know that he's going to eat innings like he, he's been. It's amazingly durable. It's really amazingly. Incredible. Yeah. Like like almost it's it's just so like the emotional side of it, like the whole non baseball side, seeing him be the butt of so many jokes and so many people just write him off, like seeing him even and who knows, he could fall apart at his next start. But seeing this version of him. Where he's got that swagger, he's strutting around like a peacock after he gets, a, you know, he strikes somebody out. Like, it makes me feel good because I, I just want him to do well. We spent so much time like he deserved better than to suffer through the entire rebuild. Same, same thing with Freddie, and he's still here, 
and this could be the last year that we've got him. So I want to see him go out on a high note. And he's not going to be 2016 Julio. And, and it really is amazing. Go take a look at his Fangraphs page. He has a ton of innings for a guy that really hasn't been around that long. What is this, like his sixth or seventh year? I believe he debuted in 2012, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So really like six full seasons. It is amazing how many innings he has on that arm. We mentioned the lat. He didn't miss any starts with the lat last year. He might have missed one or two starts. And I, I'm really happy to see that from Julio. If this is the type of Julio you get all year and he's your five, that is, that's phenomenal because it takes away the impetus for you to have to deal him. You don't have to deal him. You can let him be on that staff. As a five, he's a phenomenal type of guy so far. So I'm really happy about that. But we've gone kind of long on this segment. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to discuss the bullpen. You guys knew we were going to get to it. It's pretty shameful. It's disgusting. We're going to get to it. We're going to we're going to get to all of your questions and all of all of your concerns coming up next here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by the Happy Beginnings Massage Parlor. Let's face it, life is hard, and sometimes you just don't have any time to waste. So here at Happy Beginnings, you can come right in and get down to business. We'll get you in and out lickety split. If life's got you by the balls, we can too. We can help you release your stress and then some. And if you're feeling overextended, our service can't be beat. Afraid to ask? Don't be. Don't beat around the bush. That's our job. Stop in today for a good old-fashioned rubdown. If you need it, we'll need it. We've even been bestowed with the highest possible honor, the Robert Kraft Seal of Approval. Happy beginnings, because who's got time to wait for a happy ending? Patent pending. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Platinum Sombrero brought to you by Armchair All-Americans and our brand new sponsors at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is one of the number one ticket-selling websites in the world. If you guys have ever used them, you know that, that they've been around forever. You guys know my stance on ticket fees. You know I don't like ticket fees. The good thing about SeatGeek, what separates them from a lot of the others like Ticketmaster and StubHub, SeatGeek has this this little tracking data that they use on their website to ensure that you are getting the best prices for the best seats possible. So, you know, we've had tick splits for a long time. I love tick splits. They don't always have the best seats. SeatGeek does. What separates them from the other big giant ticket guys is they have that algorithm that allows them to get you the best tickets at the best prices. And even if you're like me and you hate that little that little seat fee, good news for you. Apparently, SeatGeek listens to me because if you use our promo code ACAA at the checkout, they're going to give you $20 off your first ticket price. You know what that means? That essentially pays for, for your seat fee. So you're going to get great seats. You're going to get great prices. And if you use our promo code ACAA, you're going to cover that seat fee as well. SeatGeek.com. Life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right. Unfortunately, guys, it is that part of the podcast where um, we got to cover something that we really were hoping not to have to talk about. I don't think either one of us is shocked that we're having to have this conversation, but here we are nonetheless. And the bullpen. The bullpen did such a good job in Colorado that I'd kind of hoped that maybe I was wrong and they were going to surprise me. Um, They did not surprise me. This series against the Diamondbacks has been every bit as bad as Philadelphia, where the bullpen literally just blew all three games in this series. It's so demoralizing. Like, it kind of reminds me of the, the Falcon Super Bowl. Like, we're in the home stretch, 
and somehow you just got that uneasy feeling like, oh, there's there's no reason to think that anything bad is going to happen here. Everything's going to be fine. Right. So you let your guard down a little bit. You let the bullpen into your heart and then they break your heart from the inside out. You know, like I Chad Sabatia, we saw last year that guy can pump gas. That he is so good when he's on, but he is equally, equally bad when he is off. And unfortunately, he has been very, very off in this in this Diamondback series. Like Jesse Biddle, despite his promises that he wouldn't do exactly what he did, he did what he did. He knows what he did. He um AJ Mincer, like every, everybody got in on it. You know, nobody <laughs> nobody's really immune except for Wes Parsons, who still kind of came out of nowhere like i don't know man this is just like this is bad for business and and i'm like i said about the in the first segment about i don't really get mad watching games i'll just turn it off and go do something else like if i know there's carnage coming you don't have to watch like when we were watching game of thrones valerie read the books she knew that the red wedding was coming she just straight up left she's like i know what's about to happen i don't want to watch this yeah, and she's like peeking around the corner. She's like, "Did they kill so and so yet?" I'm like, "You know they killed so and so already." You know, it's like, did, "Did they score three runs off Sabaka yet?" You know they did. So it's it's just hard, man. Like, because I, if only somebody could have seen this coming. If only there was an entire off season, you know. And I and I'm I'm trying to say these things on social media, man, because nobody likes somebody that's gonna just be so full of negativity and and want to just drill this point home. And not to mention. Some people like to dig up old takes to, to mock you when things go differently. But, like, stuff lives in perpetuity on Twitter. And, my God, I just am trying so hard to find anything good about this. And I am having to reach so far to find anything good about it right now. I, I can't really find anything good. The only good thing I can find right now is that Wes Parsons, I'm so happy for him to be performing as well as he is in the role that he is for an undrafted guy to be 26 and and never be on anybody's top 30 or anything like that to come out and, and really find a home in the bullpen. A guy, a guy that just continues to get the first batter out each time he goes out there. I'm really happy for him. Luke Jackson. I'll give him some credit. Luke Jackson has been really solid this year. Now it's not going to last by everything that I've seen. He looks a lot like what Shane Carl did in the first four weeks. So I'm instantly going to have a, that backhanded compliment full of like brass knuckles. But for now, Luke Jackson has been the steadiest hand in your bullpen. You, you brought it up obliquely there. Like if only somebody had noticed that this was a problem, I'm still in shock that Alex didn't think this was a bigger problem. This was your biggest hole during the season a year ago. It was your biggest hole in the offseason, and it's been your biggest hole up to this point, and it has not been addressed. I love Chad Sabatka. I still think he has back-of-the-bullpen potential, but he is so far out of whack mechanically right now that he can't throw. He can't spot up a fastball to save his life, and his off-speed stuff is still looking good. The problem is if a hitter's not worrying about that 95 to 99 fastball, they can sit on that curve and that slider, so then they can take it a long way, and they have been taking it a long way. And it's not just that he's been getting some bad luck. He's been getting hit hard. Same thing. Oh, yeah. Same thing for yeah. half the other guys. I mean, Dan Winkler, congratulations. He's had... You know, three good, what, four good at-bats. He's faced four good at-bats, but he didn't look good in the in, the, uh, in spring training. He didn't look good at Gwinnett where he had four walks and four strikeouts. Uh, hopefully he can, you know, hopefully he can kind of figure this out. I don't like his hairdo. I don't like his new do, by the way, but, you know, he looks a little bit like Travis Pastrana. But 
hopefully he can kind of nail this down. Jacob Webb hasn't looked bad, but Jacob Webb's a guy that's never had any major league experience, and that's the running theme with this bullpen. They've got some guys that have good stuff, like Jesse Biddle, A.J. Minter, even though I'm not A.J. Minter's biggest fan, but A.J. Minter, Chad Sabotka, these guys have good stuff. But none of these guys, aside from Minter, have even have a full season's worth of good experience under their belt. Everybody has half a season or less. And Topol has brought up a, an interesting point. This is not to say that it's a very accurate point, but you know, when you're looking at some of the guys that you were depending on, then you know, some of the guys have track records. The Darren O'Day thing. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Why are you counting on Darren O'Day for anything? The dude can't even look at a baseball right now. I'm not convinced he's a real person. I'm pretty he might, sure. He I'm, might, I am, he might be the next Deion Toscano. I am he pretty sure that Baltimore replaced him with a lookalike. And that if you listen to his bullpen music backwards, it will confirm it. <laughs> Darren is dead. Miss him now. Miss him now. Um, no, I mean, like, but that's that's the thing. Like, he was he had the hamstring injury before, but now he's dealing with forearm. It's it's like, and that didn't come up until spring training. Sam Freeman, I never thought I would miss Sam Freeman, but he wound up he he was going to be counted on, and then he wasn't. And Johnny Venters, I mean, we both love him. Everybody in Braves country loves him. His whip is higher than most people's fips okay like that's really really hard to deal with like even if his era was 413 it would be bad his whip is 413 like that's impossible no one's ever done that before and uh like and then you come down to Vizcaino. the decision to tender him a contract is looking curiouser and curiouser by the day for and look this whole thing about his shoulder and getting the surgery, I'm not a skeptic. I don't. I usually try and find the good in people, but when I'm looking at this, I saw him like get that contract, and then all of a sudden he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna need like all year off, okay?" Because he got his 4.8 million dollars, and then four innings into it, if that, he wound up electing for the surgery. You know, and if I'm being honest, in the the four outings that he had, he sucked. I'd never say it's a good thing that somebody's going to wind up getting hurt, but if he's not going to wind up pitching in this bullpen, hate to say it, man, but it's probably a good thing. Well, just speaking to the Erodis thing, I'm not shocked. This is a guy that they said had shoulder problems. They said he had a sore shoulder or sore shoulder. Wow. But the day that they announced it, they used him. Like, yeah, that's the thing with shoulders, man. Like you can feel okay on a day. And this is speaking from a guy that has pretty much no shoulder left. Like, once shoulders go, you have to be so cautious. So, like, I'm not necessarily – I'm not upset that Erotus is getting the surgery because if you let a shoulder fester, it's just going to get worse. Like, even if you're only using it once every two or three days, it's that's not enough time for it to heal, especially if it's like a labrum or something like that, and it sounds more like a labrum injury. And if it, if it is a labrum – or an anterior capsule in the shoulder, that's not going to get better with two or three days of rest. That needs sustained rest. And if it's in the capsule, they're going to have to do something to open it up a little bit and let it actually get the swelling down and and go back so it's not getting pinched in the actual shoulder itself. They're going to have to relieve some of that. So I'm fine with that part. And if you wanted to tender a rotus, you had so much money this offseason that even that, you know, it was worth taking the risk, whatever. It's not like they paid him a bunch of money. My bigger problem 
And the number one problem that should be everybody else's problem is that there were so many relievers this offseason that did not make $13 million. There were, what, 10, 12 relievers that were out there this offseason? There were so many of them that have track records that were cheap that at the very least are are better than what you're getting right now. I'm going to keep going back to Sean Kelly. Sean Kelly didn't get $3 million. He got $2.75 million. Tony Sipp got under two. Justin Wilson got two years at $10 million, so he's getting $5 million a year. These are guys that would have been huge additions to your bullpen, not just because they were better than the guys that you have there now, but because they have track records, because they had been there and done that, they could have stabilized a lot of these young guys who just don't have the experience of going through these types of up and downs. Now, one thing that's really interesting to track on this is all of these guys, like Ed Onovito has been lights out, but we knew he was going to be a Yankee. And some of these guys that at the, at, during the signing, when we were lamenting, like David Robertson is one. Now David Robertson is on the IL. He's dealing with forearm stuff. So that, that could wind up being, that could wind up backfiring horribly for Philly. Stupid money or not, $11.5 million for a guy who's walking 8.1 per nine. That is not good. Guy, guy like Tony Sipp, last I saw his ERA uh, had two numbers to the left of the decimal. Justin Wilson has been, you know, he's been worth negative value. Kelly, uh, he's been okay, but he's been better than most of what we've seen. But there's all you, you brought up a point when we were texting back and forth about the usage and the circumstances being different. You know what I mean? Like just because yeah. Kelly's pitching the eighth inning for Texas doesn't mean that he wouldn't wind up pitching the sixth inning here or close or whatever. Like his role could be different. He could be facing different guys. Um, so there's nothing to, nothing to say that just because Tony Sepp hasn't been good for Washington, that he wouldn't wind up being good here. But yeah, it's, it's just curious the whole, the whole thing. And I was convinced in the off season, like, they're not spending any money even on minor league free agents because they're trying to make a run at Bryce or they're trying to make a run at Manny or something. And, and I drank that Kool-Aid. Dear God, I drank the Kool-Aid. And then I just wound up getting getting kind of let down on that. So now when Bryce winds up signing the last day of February, it's like, oh, yeah, when does spring training start? It's already going on, dude. It's too late, you know? So and and you can you can kind of piece some things together to say, well, this is why they thought this, or this is why they thought that, but they, maybe they shouldn't have thought that. And it's still early in the season, right? I mean, we're 18 games in, we are one ninth of the way into the season. So there's still a long way to go. And you could have some teams that that are going to start falling back, but where, where it gets tricky is Anthopolis said, we're going to pursue some internal and external options. Well, outside of guys like, Kimbrell, then there's not a ton of external options because teams know teams are smart enough to not go trading guys yet. You drive drive up the the value by making them available in July, like as it gets closer to the trade deadline. White Sox aren't trading Kelvin Herrera right now. So that I agree with you there. I want to go back to something that you were kind of obliquely mentioning, and that's that the bullpens. The, there's this big thing going around that everybody's bullpen has sucked so that you shouldn't be that upset about the Braves. I go in the complete opposite direction. In, the, in a division that is going to be the tightest division in baseball, with everybody else's bullpen struggling, if you had just done something to stabilize yours and make it not a glaring weakness, you could have been building a cushion 
to what you will need in a division that I do think comes down to a four-game swing between first place and fourth place. Every win, every game really can matter in this division. So, unfortunately, and, and a lot of these guys are too good to struggle too long. It's super early in the season. You're seeing guys like Chris Sale is, is an, an abomination right now. He's got no confidence. He's pitching horribly. That's not going to last. Noah Syndergaard has like a 6'11 ERA. That is not going to last. These bullpen guys, the same way. They are going to turn it around. The problem where I, I get into this with Atlanta versus, say, Philadelphia or, say, Washington is the guys in those bullpens, Washington and Philadelphia, a lot of, or Washington especially, those guys have track record. Do you expect them to turn it around? Who on this Braves club do you really look at and expect to turn it around? Yeah, I mean, some in some cases, you know, the, part of the problem when you when you stat line scout too much, and I know that anybody who's listening to this has been actively watching games, but when you look at the numbers, sometimes the, the numbers can can make things appear a little worse than they are, and and that has to do with you know small sample size. We had mentioned before, like last week when we had Matt Kretzberg on, like. Sabatka, his biggest issue was that one game against the Cubs where he got lit up. He had been pretty good against um, outside of that outing. But if you look at his line, you say, well, this guy's ERA is like close to eight. But all of those runs came, came in one game. So um, the sample sizes, they can, they can sway really easily. But, I mean, I expect M- Minter to, to take a step forward, I guess, is he because he didn't really have much of a spring training. But outside of that man i i don't know so i'm i'm looking at like looking internally i'm looking at corbin klaus i'm looking at his walk rate i'm looking at thomas burrows and his strikeouts are down his walks are up and and same thing where where you get into like sample sizes and the guys pitched four games or five games you know like you don't don't get mad at him for for his first seven innings of, of the season or something but uh you know jacob webb jacob webb could be huge um He's got really, really electric stuff. Like outside of the the first batter that he faced, I think it was Adam Jones, um, who he almost almost had him. Like that ball was in Acuna's glove, and, and he dropped it, and that that probably um, kind of skewed him just a little bit. But his stuff was electric. He was pumping ninety six. That's good. He he could be he could be a guy. But like you see, he's got two thirds of of an inning of big league experience now. Having Winkler back. Um, I think Winkler could be a really good addition, and I'm almost positive that by the time um, half the people who hear this podcast hear it, then Chad Sabatka will have been uh, politely given directions to Cool Ray Field. Um, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I think he's the one going down when Fulty's ready to be activated. Yeah, and I don't even know if if they they wait till uh, till this weekend series against Cleveland because I mean even. Even with the, the Indians' offense not not being a, a total juggernaut, like you you can't run Sabatka out there right now. He's got to figure his stuff out. And and like you said, he's got huge potential on the back end. He can still touch ninety seven. The the breaking stuff, the off speed stuff, is still working really well. But you got to be able to set those pitches up. So it's it's bleak. It's kind of bleak. But that there's the one there's that one name that's out there that everybody's kind of looking at and, and going, I think, I think it's it a good happen? time. I think it's a good time to talk about that. Kimbrell is obviously the name when AJ Minter gave up that home run to Christian Walker, who, by the way, I have no idea where he ended up coming from to turn from a quad a guy to all of a sudden he's mashing and hitting well. Um, but C- Craig Kimbrell gets the chant after AJ Minter blows yet another 
lead. Um, the thing about Craig, and I'm going to say this, I do think he will be in Atlanta Brave this year. I really do believe it. Now, the Brewers might get feisty and throw some money at him. I don't think they will. I really do think Craig Kimbrell will be a Brave. I just don't think it's going to be as soon as you all want. You're talking about if you sign Craig right now, it's not like he's going to come in off the street and come in and start facing big league guys. Sure, you can say he's been throwing bullpens on the side. It doesn't work like that, though. It's not the same thing. He's going to need probably two, maybe even three weeks and extended to get really ready and get loose to face these guys. So if you sign him now, you're talking about mid-May, mid to end of May by the time he's really ready and, and even getting ready to get his first couple big league reps. And at that point, you're going to lose a draft pick. You're going to lose the number 60 draft pick, which the draft pick in and of itself is not as worrying to me as is the one, uh, the little over a million, the 1.15 million that comes with it. In a draft that you have two first-round picks, you're going to need that pool money to be able to sign everybody. And when you start, the thing with the Braves is, is I'm a guy that, sure, I'd be willing to trade the QO. I didn't, you know, maybe not for Kimbrel if my bullpen, if you'd taken care of your bullpen when you should have. But at this point, you kind of have to. But that draft pick is kind of big because when you look down at the rosters, we've talked about Rome and how there's a lot of guys that we think they can be sneaky good, that team. As far as prospect, like, as far as prospect level and prestige, once you get out of Mississippi, there's basically not a lot of prospect prestige anymore. Like the the sanction, this is where the sanctions hurt. Not the guys like Soroka, that first and second wave. It's that third wave of guys where you lost 13 of those players. Those guys were going to be such a big part of this, what I like to call the third wave of guys. They're the guys that would just now be in Rome and Florida to, to be that next wave being ready to come up and getting prepared. You do have to worry about that a little bit. I think that's why you saw the Braves go so college heavy last year because they had to replenish with guys who were ready to fill out those spots down there. They don't really have, like once you get past, let's say who's a good cutting off point. Once you get past like, Jeffrey Ramos, I guess, would be the lowest down who's a, a top type of guy. Once you get past Jeffrey Ramos, it starts getting really thin. That's There's no doubt about it. I mean, and the, the money's huge. You know, you saw a couple years ago when, when the Braves had three of the first 44 picks. That was the Anderson-Wentz-Muller draft. And the way that they did that, that allowed them to get Brett Cumberland over slot, Drew Harrington over slot, and Bryce Wilson as well. Um because they had so much money to play with. So it's not all about the 60th pick, but at the same time, you look at the, the second rounders that the Braves have pulled in the past couple of years, you know, that this is not too far from, from the Austin Riley tier, you know, uh, Riley. Well, I guess Riley was in the forties uh, waters and Wentz and Muller. These are all picks in the forties. Freddie Freeman was, was a second round pick. I mean, there's still quality talent and this is this particular draft. This is one where outside of the top four guys, it is so wide open for so long. Like you never know who's going to fall. You never know who you're going to need a little bit of extra money in your back pocket because you never know when somebody like that is going to wind up falling to you. Drew Waters was not supposed to fall in the 41st pick in 2017, but he did. And the, the reason why the Braves wound up having to um, take – friend of the program Bruce Zimmerman in the fifth round he was a senior sign they needed to push some of that money down to him because they went big on Kyle Wright as well like the draft major league draft is so different than any other sport right and this particular year it's not a great year to be drafting in the top 10 
you know, but unless you've got multiple picks, this is why teams like the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers and uh, and the Braves who wind up having a cluster of picks kind of up at the top, they can really get creative with their stuff. And Freed's already gone. Soroka is going to be off the list. Wright's going to be off the list. Wilson's going to be off the list. Um, Tukey, like all these guys, like the Braves are ranked third ranked farm system. Okay. So you combine the fact that all of these guys that we've been dreaming on for years are going to be gone. And the fact that there's not a whole lot of high upside talent coming to replace them. You can't give this pick away. Like I want Craig Kimbrell and not even for the bullpen help. We talked about Julio and, you know, the emotional aspect of it. I want to be there when, when welcome to the jungle starts, like the first time that place is going to go positively ape. It is going to be insane, but like, you gotta be smart about it. And nobody wants to hear that. Like I, I want Craig Kimbrell now, but I don't want Craig Kimbrell now because it'll cost the pick. I want Craig Kimbrell to basically be a trade deadline acquisition. The draft ends June 5th, sign him June the 6th. That way you get him in, in early July all you're doing is paying money. You don't have to give up any any prospects to get a shutdown reliever. It just it's easy to have the knee jerk reaction and say we got to go get somebody who can help us now, but he can't help us now. And I think that that's a good point. I think that signing Kimbrel now is reactionary, and I don't think I think it's more important to have the 60th pick and the money that goes along with it more than it is to have two weeks of Kimbrel because. And I I don't want to burst people's bubble, but I guess I'm going to. If you're expecting Craig Kimbrell to be the Craig Kimbrell before you traded him to San Diego, that's not what he is anymore. There's a reason that nobody else has really been in on him. It's because they don't want to give up the pick and sign Kimbrell for that amount of money because he's not the same guy. He is declining. That That is a fact. It's also a fact that he would be the best member of this bullpen as soon as he stepped in. He wouldn't be – You know, I don't even know if he's a top 10 closer in baseball anymore. He might be close to it, but he's certainly not top five anymore. But that's not necessarily what you have to have. And the Braves, when you talk about internal options, this is where I really think that Tukey Toussaint is going to play the role. And I, I know a lot of people, I know you included, love Tukey Toussaint as a starter. I love his stuff when it's on. When his stuff is on, Tukey is is near unhittable. But Tukey is a guy that Braves fans in general are higher on than than people outside of the organization. And we've talked with people. Eno Saris said this as well, so it's not just me spitballing here. Like When you talk to other teams and when, when national guys talk to other teams about the Braves farm system, it's Ian Anderson and it's Mike Soroka. It's not Tukey. Tukey's a guy that if everything goes perfectly, he can be a top-shelf starter. He can be a top-of-the-rotation arm. He can be one of those guys, like I think he could be a Strasburg if everything works correctly. But fastball command, I really do think, is always going to be something that plagues Tukey. Now, that's not to say that Tukey's going to be bad. I think, like I keep saying, I think he instantly slots in as the best member of your bullpen. I think he's instantly a Rysel Iglesias type. Rysel Iglesias was the same thing. Amazing, amazing stuff. And Cincinnati tried him as a starter. He didn't quite have, have perfect command. They moved him to a closer role, and now he's one of the best closers in baseball. I think Tukey's that same way. And I think when, when Fulte comes up, I think you see uh, Tukey in the bullpen. And I think that he's going to stay there, or at least I hope. I don't want to see them yo-yoing him back and forth between starter and bullpen. I think you have to make a conscious decision with some of these guys, try to lay out the groundwork of who's who's a starter and who's who's a reliever, and kind of let these guys grow into those roles. And while I think Tukey could be a starter and be a very good starter, I think right now I think he would be the best reliever you have in your entire system 
I, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, you, you saw what, what he can be. And he, granted, that, that was more kind of like a glorified start. Like, Newcomb was, was Tukey's opener pretty much the other night. But And he can still, having a guy like that with stuff like that who who can go multiple innings if he has to, because he's still, you know, the, the farther away he would get from being a starter, then, then the harder it would be for him to go out and, and rattle off 50, 60 pitches or something and still be useful for the next couple of days. But, you know, you've got to start looking at some of these. And, and there's nothing to, to say also that, that just because he winds up being a bullpen guy this year, that he couldn't wind up being a starter next year. So because of that, then I think you also need to take a look at Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson and see how much their stuff would play up in the shorter stints. But if you've got guys that could routinely go two, three innings, like, like if Shane Carl was good, he's a, he's a <laughs> weapon because, and that came out so much more dickish than I intended it to. But like Carl, one of the best things about him when he was really good last year was that he could go out and he could give you a couple of innings if you needed it. So if you've got guys that are used to being starters, well then kind of use that to your advantage. If, if you've got free comes out and he, he labors for five innings and but you don't want to just go you know, four relievers covering one inning at a time. Call on Kyle Wright. Have him come in and pitch three innings or something. You know, like the idea of piggybacking. I would like to apologize. <laughs> I, I, I didn't mock you, but I thought you were crazy. I'm like, dude, they're not going to do that. And Brian Snicker is not Kevin Cash. We are not the Rays. There, there's not like this weird, just kind of quirky organizational philosophy for stuff like that. Brian Snicker is like. That is a traditional baseball man right there. So the odds of him doing something like that are probably kind of low. But I think there might be something to that to kill multiple birds here because it you can have somebody have a rough outing and not have it kill the bullpen or have to do that Gwinnett shuffle because you have to rely on somebody to give you so many innings at a time. It allows the stars to get big – the uh, guys like Wright and Wilson – and Tukey to get that big league experience to work in a different role. You've heard Freed talk multiple times about how valuable his time spent in the bullpen was and infuriated us. But if it winds up getting a better Max Freed, well then, you know, sometimes the, the ends will, the means will justify the ends. I, I don't know how to make that statement work right now, but you, and you also, you don't have to rely on Chad Sabatia. You can keep him down in AAA to work out his stuff because you've got better guys that are covering more ground at a time. So um, I think there's something to that. I think, I think that they could, they could really benefit from having those guys up and, and pitching for longer periods of time. I, I agree. By the way, it looks like that they may be transitioning uh, friend of the program, Patrick Weigel into a bullpen role. I think he's been in the bullpen a lot so far for Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken. Um, been two innings, I think, with him. I'm, I'm not sure. I think that Patrick Weigel is a guy that they think is going to be in the bullpen because he does have bullpen experience. Same for Wiscar and Noah. I think you and I can both assume that Wiscar will be in the bullpen, maybe not this year, but relatively soon. That could be one of the things that they're talking about as far as internal options go because Klaus and Burroughs have not looked great, uh, and really there's not anybody else at Gwinnett now that Grant Dayton is on the IL that you look at and say, all right, cool, they're, they're the, the secret. Bryce is a guy that can definitely be a bullpen guy. Now, when you're talking about Bryce, I think it could be really good, the bullpen, but I don't necessarily think that his, his 
potential is any greater in the bullpen than as a starter. I think he gives you the same thing in either position, which is he can come in and he's going to throw a lot of strikes. Now, when you brought up piggybacking, by the way, thank you for apologizing because I've been talking about this piggybacking for like a year. Um, Bryce would be kind of a perfect piggyback type of guy. You have Bryce come in on a day as, as the piggyback guy for, say, Tukey. For you don't know which Tukey you're going to get. If you get bad Tukey and he's gone after three innings, you know Bryce can give you five or give you six. Kyle Wright's the same way. Kyle Wright is a guy that can be used as a piggyback role because despite what the Braves have, have said for him this year, there were real questions last year about whether or not he would be a starter or a reliever long term. So you don't really know how it's going to turn out. I know nobody really wants to see these these guys matriculate to the bullpen, but you are going to. If you don't have these guys matriculate, you're going to end up trading like five of them. I don't think Kyle Muller's a bullpen guy. I think they're I think they're going to keep him as a starter. Uh Joey Wentz, I think they want to be a starter. I you know, you've got a lot of these question marks. Some of these guys, I thought you should have dealt for big time relief help and you didn't and you got to deal with that this season. It, it that's what it all boils down to is you have to you're not just talking about putting a Band-Aid on a wound. You're trying to, like, use, like, saran wrap to cover, like, a loss of an arm right now. Like, you are you are using something. You're trying to to, to pick up, you know, what's, what's a good word here? You're trying to use a thimble to stop, like, a full-on leak in your house right now. There, there's not much you can do to just go out here and fix what's going on right now. So you're going to have to get creative. You don't, I know you don't want to burn an option on everybody so early. I, I get that. But guys like Patrick Weigel, he's already on your 40-man. At this point, I won't be surprised if they start progressing him super quickly through the bullpens just to get somebody that you can rely on to go multiple innings as a guy that you really like their stuff. You can talk about Jacob Webb, but Jacob Webb is one pitch away from his arm falling off again. And that's the way it is with a lot of these relievers. That's... It's very um, screen door on a submarine. Is that is that about right? Um, right. Yeah, it, yeah, it's 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 hard to watch. And and I brought up it's it's early. There's still time to turn it around. But you know, if I can play devil's advocate to myself here, there's nothing saying that it 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 can get worse. It can, can most assuredly get worse. But you know, um, Anthopoulos is saying that he's he's going to do something about it now, which he's already said he was going to do something about it. So we'll see. I, I don't, think I don't trust I think, anything he says to media. I I like, I, I am at yeah, this point with Alex where like when he says something, I fully expect the opposite. No, I I know, but I if I'm being honest, um, hearing your entire fan base chant "We want Kimbrel," that that had to open his eyes. Like that's <laughs> be good. That's kind of I. I wouldn't be surprised if he joined in on the chant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause you, he knows, he knows that this is bad, but we all, and this is where, this is where the whole thing where it's like Liberty media is going, Oh, they can make their decisions. And Alex Anthopoulos is basically saying, um, yeah, we're just going to roll with this. Alex Anthopoulos is a smart baseball man. He knows how bad this is, you know? So it's like both sides are pointing fingers at the other. So we, as a fan base are just looking around going, who do we blame other than both of you? <laughs> Give me you a know? name. Yeah, like, and if it's if it's Liberty's fault, fine. Just tell us and we'll blame them. If it's Braves' fault, fine. Just tell us and we'll blame them instead. But now it's just this nebulous thing where it's like, I kind of hate both of you because somebody should have jumped in and fixed this. But, you know, it it is still early, even for as bad as it's been. 
Braves are still only two, three games out of of the division lead right now. So I'm trying as hard as I can to find some type of silver lining. Uh, at least we're not the San Francisco Giants where we have the horrendous bullpen, but everything leading up to it is or it's, or having a fantastic bullpen. But but every other thing on the team is just is just terrible. So, you know, the game could be totally shot for us by the time uh, the bullpen gets involved anyway. So you guys hang tight. It'll um, it'll get better. I mean, I, I could play that role, but I really don't care about everybody else. I care about Atlanta. So like. You telling me, oh, everybody else's bullpen sucks. That doesn't help me at all. Like I don't, I don't care. I hope everybody else sucks, but I want Atlanta to be good. I don't know. That that's kind of our thoughts on it. I do wonder what what are y'all's thoughts out there? If you if you have an idea, just give us your thoughts at six seven eight two zero eight seven nine eight two. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, uh, maybe you guys have a better idea than my piggybacking. Maybe you guys are are willing to talk me off the ledge a little bit. I don't know. Somebody somebody give me some sort of something to look forward to as we talk about it quick preview or, quick yeah go ahead or if nothing else um you know just uh call us and, and leave us your favorite joke i think Make it, me laugh, it, uh, please yeah I, I think all of us could really go for a good a good stupid joke these days so call us you know we'll, we'll play it on the show and uh, bef- before we get out of here, I want to do one more thing before we end the show. We are going to Cleveland now, and you kind of lightly touched on this early. Is you don't want to – Cleveland has not been hitting well at all. You do not want to be the one that gets Jose Ramirez going because he has been horrendous to start the year. You do not want to be the team that he finally turns it on against. You need to go into Cleveland now, and you need to go out there, and you need to get three wins. You need to sweep this team. I know you got Tukey facing Corey Kluber. Kluber's one of these guys that hasn't been great so far to start the year. Trevor Bauer's been kind of like, he's been kind of weird Jekyll and Hyde-ish where he's had a few starts where he's walked a ton of people. He's striking out a ton of people, but he's had some bad starts as well. Don't let these guys find their way against you. Go out there and and, and get get a couple of these wins back and, and get the confidence up a little bit, please. Yeah, this is this is going to be a real pivotal series, and and this is one thing that we saw last year all the time is when the when the 2018 Braves looked like they were down, you know, they they snapped two. Like the longest losing streak of the year was like five, you know, and they're they're in a rut right now. But it's easy to forget that yeah, there was a, a two and five homestand on the tail end that's coming off of going seven and one in the previous eight before that. So. Recency bias aside, this is still a good team. The offense, with the exception of today, has looked really, really strong. I do think it's kind of ridiculous that Trevor Bauer is pitching on 420, and I wonder if he's going to cap himself at 69 pitches just because he seems like the type of guy. Just because yeah. he's Trevor Bauer. Like, what a what a child. <laughs> <laughs> Julio versus but, Trevor Bauer is one of the more interesting matchups, I think, as well as Max Fried versus Shane Bieber. Shane Bieber is also a really, really good young pitcher. Yeah, he is. I mean, they, that's one thing you'll say about the Indians. Like they, they've, their offense is like the 2016 Braves, but their pitching is like the 1995 Braves. I mean, they, they have a real deal. Like they, they are missing Mike Clevenger right now and it almost doesn't even matter. So, uh, it's this is the time to turn it around. It's it's the time to to recalibrate, get back on track. Not to mention, you're going up against Kluber and Bauer and Bieber. I mean, these are good guys to. Those are momentum builders right there. If they can, you know, it's not like Luke we, uh, Luke Weaver and Sandy Koufax, but you never know it from from watching him today. <laughs> so having having guys like uh, like Kluber and Bauer, they are mountains, but mountains are meant to be climbed. So. 
Right, it's, I, a, it's a good thing. You 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 put up some some numbers on those guys, and it really does up the confidence moving forward. Hopefully, we see it. Uh, I I I think that things should go well. The Cleveland's offense has been abysmal, pretty much up and down. Tyler Naquin's been like their cleanup hitter and their number three hitter for a while, so you can really take advantage of that. I I really want to see it. The bullpen just has to find some measure of stability, whatever it is. Find out, find something, do something, please, so we don't have to come back next week and have yet another downer episode. Please. Think of TPS, guys. Please, please, Atlanta. Bear <laughs> us in mind. Don't be so selfish. Yeah, we if we don't like doing super negative episodes. You know, nobody wants to 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 hear us talk about how bad the bullpen is, except for you, dear listener, because you made it to the end of the episode. It's because you guys are feeling the same thing as us. Thank you guys so much for listening to the episode. If you haven't already, follow us on on uh, iTunes. Follow us on Stitcher. Tune in, whatever. Or you know what? Give us a follow on the new Himalaya app. I like that app a lot. I want that app to get more play. Y'all follow us around on there. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll bring you another episode, same time, same place, next week. Let's go, let's go.